All right. For important disclosures, please see the Morgan Stanley Research Disclosure website at morganstanley.com forward slash research disclosures. If you have any questions, please reach out to a Morgan Stanley sales representative. Great. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Mike Cypress, Equity Alice, covering brokers, asset managers, and exchanges for Morgan Stanley Research. And we're excited to have with us here Jim Zelter, co-president of Apollo Global Management. With over $500 billion of assets under management, Apollo is one of the world's largest alternative investment managers. Jim, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, welcome back. This is the third or fourth year in a row, I think. Indeed, indeed. So why don't we kick off with the macro, start big picture. It's been a bumpy start to the year and uh, past couple of months in particular with higher inflation, rising rates, volatility, growth, recession concerns, so forth and and so on, not to mention geopolitical tensions and such. Um, Navigating a global pandemic as well. So, you know, how is Apollo adapting as a firm through all of these sort of challenges here? And what would you say are some of your top priorities here as you, as you look out? Well, we, we, we really are good, good to be here. Um, you know, certainly it's, you know, I'm not going to, we, we've all seen the headlines the last couple of days. It's, I guess we've taken the approach that it's not a surprise we're here. Uh, we're finally at a point in time with, that we would say that purchase price finally matters. It's been 10 years, the more risk you took. With the, with the quantitative easing around the globe and the monetary authorities creating that kind of risk environment. And, you know, candidly, we think this is our time. Um, you know, the firm is much different today than it was over the last 30 years. And while it's really our time in our equity and our opportunistic businesses and our hybrid businesses, you know, that's about a sixth or a seventh of what we do. But in terms of our... Uh, retirement services balance sheets. We can we can execute that strategy without with taking a lot less risk right now. Um, and I'm not I'm not surprised that we're seeing this volatility out there right now. So for us, you know, we, we think with what we do and uh, our investors are we've we've never been as busy as we are in the last 30 to 45 days. Now, despite the volatility that we've seen in public markets, if we look at your first quarter marks, they were fairly resilient despite some of the volatility there. So can you talk a little bit about how your portfolio investments are navigating this environment? What are the areas that are holding up better? And are there any areas of particular softness that you'd point out? Well, in our, in our PE book, um, you know, we've assembled Fund 9 at around six times enterprise value to EBITDA, which is arguably five t- turns less than the market. I think the second quarter is going to look, you know, fairly resilient as well. Uh, and I think that, which is not a surprise to us as being a, a investor that's been quite disciplined the last several years. So we, we think our, our, our opportunistic business, our equity business, our hybrid business, you know, we didn't take a lot of subordinated risk. Uh, we didn't do a lot of second liens, didn't do a lot of mes, very little. So I think we're very comfortable with how our portfolio is navigating this, which is a big issue because these firms have gotten, we've all gotten a lot bigger. And as you approach the new opportunity, you want to make sure you're not spending all your time protecting the flank from yesterday's mistakes. So, you know, for us, um, and I'm sure we'll get to it, spent a lot of time on an Athene day yesterday, did a massive deep dive in the portfolio. Reminder, it's 95% investment grade, high-quality assets. So, you know, I feel for us, you know, we are a proven investor in the equity business for three decades. We'll get to the Athene um, yeah. day in just a moment. Yeah. But before we do, maybe just against that macro backdrop that you 
outlined there. You know, what's the pace of deal activity and capital deployment? How's that trending? We've been hearing from some folks that, you know, there were some uh, pipelines of deals that were had been announced that are still going to be completed yeah. and executed, but then it's a concern around the kind of the roll forward from here yeah. as you look out 12 months. So just, how would you characterize the environment today to put capital to work? You know, listen, there's a lot of private equity capital that's been raised, and financing markets are more challenged. Um, I think you'll see in the first and the second quarter a variety of commitments that got made by various firms are going to be a little bit painful in terms of some marks. Um, and I think that, you know, people ask us, you know, private credit, is it real? Is it robust? You know, we're, we're seeing as much deal activity on the financing side as we are on the equity side. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're finishing Fund 9. We're in the middle of, of fundraising Fund 10, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but I think when you think about our, 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 our direct origination business, our CRE business, our asset-backed finance business, those are all really robust, even though things like the CLO market have closed, closed down. So on the equity side, it's a question of how much the financing markets open back up. Really, the private financing markets are really the option right now. And a lot of the um, on origination platforms, uh, it's making sure we just continue. We can actually take a little bit less risk because spreads have widened out, go up to capital structure. I would argue the IG market is pretty good still for Athene. Uh, so in that perspective, uh, there's some opportunities from both financing as well as the equity side. So opportunities there, both PE side, just maybe the financing gets a little bit harder, opportunities on the credit side. Are any areas you're avoiding? And when you think about some of the opportunities, any particular themes? That well, I, I would say we're, we're, we're definitely of the view that the U.S. is probably a bit more robust and a bit ahead of Europe. So. If you ask me where I'm putting incremental dollars in the U.S. versus the European market, that's probably the case. Um, you know, certainly when you can look at investment-grade market versus the high-yield or leveraged loan market, that looks very attractive on the IG space. Uh, you know, recent transactions are going to come behind 6%. That's very attractive on the IG world. Um, you know, EM is still a little bit of a challenge. You know, we've sort of not really accelerated the, the deployment in the EM, in the EM world. Uh, and large cap direct origination is still a big growth area for us. Great. So. Where do you see risks building up, excesses in the, in the system, if any? You know, some point to private credit, others point to venture. What are you watching closely? Well, I mean, I think the evidence is in. There's no doubt there was a valuation accident waiting to happen in the broad technology space. And probably the baby's been thrown out with the bathwater. So there's probably some great companies. Um, you know, we, there's a handful that we've been involved with invest in, in financing. But there's no doubt there was a lot of valuation bubble in that space. There's no doubt there was a lot of leverage in the, uh, the crypto environment when you see the volatility in that marketplace. A lot of retail um, uh, leverage in that space. You know, I, I think the resi space is a little bit challenging. You know, no doubt with mortgages going from low threes on 30-year fixed to high five, mid to high fives, it's going to slow down some residential purchases on a regional or area basis, but we still have, we're still short 3.5 million homes in the U.S. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of cross-currents right now. The consumer is still in pretty solid shape. Um, and so we're not, ex while I am expecting a slowdown in 23 and a recession in 23, 
I'm not expecting or we're not expecting a massive credit cycle to be nasty and draconian. Uh, that's not what we see in our business right now. Any concerns on leverage loan side or broader private credit market? You know, it's more, it's more market structure than it is on, on the leverage loan side uh, and CLO formation. But pr private credit, I think, is going to be shown to be quite robust. Um, marks probably may be a little bit stickier than they probably should be uh, in reality. But I, I think that even in a lot of the, uh, the tech lending in, uh, in the software space, Yes, valuations have come down from 20 times to 10 times, but you probably attach on the leverage side of like six, seven times, eight times. So I don't, I don't think, if you have a credit issue in your portfolio today, it's a company that has secular challenges. Like there's, it, you know, you, you shouldn't be having credit issues in this kind of environment. Let's talk about fixed income replacement. That's yeah. been a big theme for uh, you guys at Apollo. Yeah. Um, where would you say you, you are in building out those capabilities today, and what's still to be built out? Well, just take a step back. For, so fixed income replacement is the ability to get investment-grade returns by providing really wholesale bespoke solutions. We've done transactions for, for Hertz, for Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, uh, for, for many others, AB InBev. And, you know, I think you're going to find situations where companies have stranded strategic assets that are not cash flowing like they'd like, and as we've gotten more organized around rolling out that product to, you know, the Fortune 500 in the U.S. and in Europe, we're finding actually a great reception. Um, I, I think there will be some large transactions uh, in the in the automobile sector, uh, in other sectors that are doing major transitions in terms of what's going on with ESG. So a massive reception in that space. And we just need to make sure that we're pricing that accordingly when the primary investment grade market has repriced itself. But there's no doubt that as we've, we were very clear last fall in our investor day about the, uh, the North Star of the firm and that origination is a big part of it. So we actually think we're, we're, we are the market leader in that space. We also did a variety of fund finance transactions in the last six months that have gotten some uh, uh, the, the, the soft bank division fund in particular. So those are all areas where we think we're creating really, really safe yield, top of the capital structure, not taking second lien or mezzanine risk, um, and we think that's an amazing opportunity for us still. So those are some interesting transactions that you, you pointed out where you have built out the teams, the platforms, any other platforms that you think about that would make sense to build out in this sort of fixed income replacement theme that you don't the, have the, today? Those, those, you know, it's fixed income really comes a lot of different industries. I mean, I really want to focus on the U.S. first, yeah. then we'll get to Europe and the EM, but it really, it's, it's multi-industry, but it really is that product. It's really, a, it's really an origination tool that we can use to scale up and to put our, against our insurance, our, our uh, retirement services liabilities. Now, the other question that comes up um, often with fixed income replacement is that a lot of the, that growth, you mentioned insurance, has been to help support the Athene balance sheet. So I guess, how do you think about bringing in third-party capital into fixed income replacement? How meaningful of an opportunity could that be, and what are some of the initiatives to accelerate growth there? So in the last 12 to 18 months, we brought in over $7 billion of what we call these high-grade alpha uh, opportunities from institutions in the U.S. Uh, I suspect you will see the ability for us to capture that investment grade spread and continue to expand the third party business. Uh, a, a few select hires we've made, 
and creating those products, uh, whether it's in SMA form or, or otherwise, but those are incredibly scalable for us, Mike. And um, again, I think that when we think about the different levers for us to show the growth, in addition to what we've had at Athene and Athora, this is gonna be a big driver to that. And you mentioned the large cap lending platform, right? You've done a whole host of uh, high profile investments there. Um, I guess, how do you think about building that out from here as you kind of roll forward? Where would you like that platform to be in five years? Well, for us, uh, you know, certainly we've been very vocal in the private credit business. It really, a lot of the dialogue goes around middle market sponsors. We, we think the, the privatization of credit will be these larger cap sponsors, the top 30, 40 sponsors, which we're targeting from the Apollo side of the balance sheet. We have mid-cap that does the smaller side. And for us, you know, we, we announced uh, a formation of our non-traded BDC, ADS. We've got over $2 billion of equity in the last, you know, several months. Uh, it's accelerating, and we think that can be a, a multiple times size of it, of it is today. Uh, for us, that's just the first of many of our products in the whole global wealth, which we pushed last fall as one of our three big corporate initiatives in terms of global wealth. So there's no doubt, and I, I would also add that we've always tried to bring an approach of bringing lower and lower cost capital to the solution. So when you just have private equity, it's it's arguably a 20% capital solution. You know, what we have with all of our other products right now, we can go to a financial sponsor, do fund finance, do leverage finance, do triple net lease, do a variety of activities, do our hybrid value, and that's a more meaningful conversation. Uh, it, it, it takes the commoditization of that dialogue out of the equation. So we're heading into, or in already, higher yield environment. Um, so I guess, why does demand for alternative fixed income not become lesser in that environment? Why does that not shrink? Well, I think in the past, you know, you, you've just got demographics of savers around the globe or areas that are doing very well. Certainly with what's going on in the energy complex, um, a lot of the sovereign capital in the Middle East is doing quite well right now, have, has a lot of excess capital. And I think they see versus traditional fixed income garnering 6 to 8% versus 4 or 5 is very attractive for them. So there's a tremendous demand uh, upon us to create a variety of yield solutions that are with a 3% starting point versus zero. Uh, that 8% is much more, much more attractive and certainly it's one much more achievable. So I, I think there's a tremendous uh, backlog of demand for that type of yield and yield solutions on the investment side. So even as rates and yields are going higher, um, yields on high yield and investment grade bonds and, and new issues are also going higher. It sounds like your point is that you're still going to. There's still a relative spread. No, no doubt, and that's and I, still going to persist. Yeah, for for ten years, you and I would talk about, you know, how can you keep taking money as rates go zero, zero, zero? We end up growing our business, and I said I, I welcome the day when the risk-free rates at three percent, then I can make eight percent a lot easier, and I think you're going to see that happen in our business in the next 24 months. I mean. Again, you're right, people should readjust their expectations, but right now, if you look at where IG spreads are, you know, they've sort of normalized nowhere near where they were in March of 20, uh, but even 200 over in IG spread is still a 5% number. That takes the basic business model of Athene and makes it a much more achievable enterprise. Uh, you don't have to reach for yield. I can take less risk and execute my business plan. Speaking of that, um, 
you know, how do we think about the impact of the overall business from higher rates, the sensitivity across yeah. your, your different businesses that yeah. you have at Apollo? You know, how, what's, the, what's the impact, and how is the book positioned? So with regard to half the book, of the roughly $500 billion of assets, uh, on the retirement services side, about $30 billion is in floating rate assets. That was painful to carry the last three or four years, but every since the beginning of the year, every 25 basis parallel shift in the curve is around 30 million more of income for us. So you can do the math. It's certainly a reason why uh, in our Athene day yesterday we talked about the numbers at the beginning of the year versus now normalizing from that 335 to probably four bucks a share. So it's real dollars and cents for us on the retirement services side. You know, on, on the, on the third-party uh, side, you know, we still have a large floating rate exposure to our whole loan business, our CLO business. So a lot of that is, is, uh, is hedged by liabilities. So I, I just think it, it garners us, uh, you know, greater yield to hit our bogeys and to hit our incentives. But it's, it's, we, don't, we don't have a lot of uh, – uh, there's not a lot of notice on that side of the balance sheet. Anything to speak up on the private equity side in terms of the no, you know, when you, when you buy companies at six, six and a half times, we probably over equitize a lot. You know, we we have caps on our. We, we really don't have a lot of leverage in our PE companies these days. Um, it's the manner we how we run the business. So, uh, not not concerned about those extra incremental costs hitting our business. I would say, you know, in some of our origination platforms that um, do securitizations. The funding costs of AAAs have gone up from 100 over to 200 over, so a little bit of incremental funding cost on some of the liabilities, but not not a meaningful number for us. Why don't we talk about the Athene teach-in that you sure. guys did yesterday? Sure. Um, what are the say two to three takeaways you want investors to have coming out of that, and any particular key data points you want to flag for people? It's a busy day in the markets yeah. yesterday. Well, I know people had some distractions, so I think we're going to have to make sure that we do that four or five times, but. I, you know, I think just taking a step back, I think thematically, you know, we clearly heard from investors that there's, there's questions about Athene as an insurance company, and even though we think of it as a very simple spread lending business. And so we really deconstructed in great detail, 170-page deck, eight speakers, what the real cost of our liabilities, the, the structural uh, stickiness of those liabilities, even in the case where you had surrender charges five and ten times any historical numbers, how it's a, it's a non-material impact to our bottom line. So I think there was a whole approach about transparency, about detail, um, and that was really on the asset gathering um, and the liability side. We also dug into the four ways we bring liabilities into the balance sheet, organic, inorganic, or organic and inorganic uh, M&A, um, organic being our retail, uh, FABNs as well as PRT, the pension risk transfer. We talked about those four levers and how we can push and, and, and pull those as needed. Um, you know, and, then, and then the final part was really a deep dive into our CLO book, uh, our ABS book, and our CRE book. We showed the real transition of our CLO book from double Bs four years ago to virtually no 1% double Bs today. Uh, all investment grade. We talked about really stressing that book under a variety of scenarios, same with our CRE book. And so I just think this this is the first 
of, of many. You know, we organized this in a pretty short period, about 45 days. I think it will be something we'll come back to over the next several quarters as people really want to see what we say in terms of coming through to practice. But I think it just gave a lot more in-depth detail and cover, color to how the business actually works in great detail and great practice. Great, and then you also had the guidance update as well from the. Yes, and we talked about a little bit. You know, again, because we have been, it's not been free to carry around 30 billion of floaters for the last seven, six, seven years, or five years, uh, and now it's actually paying tremendous dividends, um, and so giving some some further guidance on that. But again, I, I think there's, you know, we we have been very very clear, how you know the whole thesis of doing the Athene transaction was we thought it was a ideal spot to hold many high-quality assets. We still believe that's the case. We still believe that there can be more education and insight in looking at these spread-related earnings uh, and the robust nature of the risk that we own under investment-grade assets um, versus a lot of the common, widely accepted FRE multiples of other products that are a bit lower down the capital structure. Yes, they're senior secured, but we, we think there's a great, we, as we've said before, we love both businesses, but we think the SRE business is really not appreciated appropriately. And I think it also ties back into, when you think about Apollo as a whole, um, the earnings volatility of our platform, I think is underappreciated because of the robust stickiness of the retirement services earnings. Um, and certainly there will be great FRE growth from deployment in our industry. Certainly I think some of the incentive uh, revenue and incentive, incentive uh, benefits will be pushed off because of, you know, the equity markets or the IPO markets. But I think that gives a robust, narrow band to the outcomes of our earnings, which I don't think is appreciated right now. Staying with the Athene topic, um, some look at the Athene balance sheet and you know, look at the um, uh, risk or question the risk that, that may be on there, right, just because you're taking a little bit uh, more illiquidity risk, if you will. Yeah. So I guess, is, how do you think about that relative to the, to the credit risk? Is there more credit risk that you're taking? I think there's sort of a viewpoint out there that clearly if you're taking illiquidity risk, then there, there must be more credit risk that comes alongside that. I think in time we'll prove that to be a, a ill-fated concern. Again, when you look at our, we're 95% investment grade rated. Even if you believe there's some investment grade, uh, um, um, grade inflation, um, like there was in 07, 08 because of structured credit, um, you know you can hammer the CLOs, the single A's, and the triple B's pretty hard. You can ha you know, hammer some of our CRA investments. We, we, we feel like the next four to eight quarters, we, we will be, uh, it'll be demonstrated about the robust nature and we're not taking incremental risk. What gives you confidence base. in that? You know, just, just the scale. For example, when we, when we do something um, like the Vision Fund opportunity where we're lending at 10% LTV, uh, when we do the Alliant inventory finance where we're underneath um, a BNP, you know, these are businesses that have been around 10, 20, 30 years, especially in that inventory finance business or other areas in our, in our uh, fleet auto finance and wheels and Donlin. They've had 10 basis points of defaults a year for the last 30 years. I mean, these are robust businesses. These are not, we're, we're not doing 
you know, pay now, lend later, or lend now, pay later. Uh, we're not doing a variety of those strategies that are really questionable on the consumer side. So they've, they've lived through robust cycles. One of the shifts post the Athene merger is to run uh, a more capital efficient balance sheet at Athene using more capital from the sidecart vehicles. Yeah. So can you just talk about how that's progressing, how capital efficient can the business become over time? Well, I think a few things. I, I think that we were very clear that we wanted to continue the sidecar, which is known as ADIP. That is a $3.5 sidecar. We're getting to the end of that. There will, there will be um, you know, the, the natural progression from the success of that and the returns that, employ, that, that investors have, have achieved. Um, that will be continued. And again, I think from our perspective, for us to be able to make various investments in these origination platforms and not have to use uh, capital at the holding company or equity at the holding company, but to do it out of our alternatives bucket, uh, our alter alternatives allocation, is a very wise and capital efficient. So, um, you know, from our perspective, we're going to continue that trend. Um, it's our ability when you look at the excess capital we have right now, plus the fully, you know, what we have over the period of the next several years, we're, we're, we're comfortable that that excess capital will be used in a variety of ways to de-risk the, the to de-risk for shareholders. But we're, we're continuing to think that when you look at our model, it really is extremely capital efficient, which we highlighted again and again in our investor day. And M&A has been another big theme uh, for uh, Athene. So can you just remind us how much excess capital you guys have at, at the Athene side? We'll, we'll come to a Thor in a, a bit later, but just, you know, how does it fit into the... Depending on how you define it, anywhere between 3 and, a half and $7 billion between okay. capital, cash, and excess borrowings. So that number between 3 and $7 billion gets us another $100 billion of liabilities. So, you know, certainly in the last couple of years, there have been a lot of imitation, uh, you know, followers, imitators. Uh, I, I do believe that's um, everybody wants to have their own Athene. Once you buy the liability, then you actually have to put the assets to work. You have to grow a, a or create an organic business, create ratings, create funding. So, you know, for us, we've, we've tended to focus on the larger, more complicated uh, M&A opportunities. Those are out there. They're, go there's going to, they're going to happen in the second half of 2022, no doubt. So from our mind, while it's been a while for we, while we've digested a few things, um, I, I think we're certainly feel like there's a, a there's a robust M&A pipeline. And how does the current market environment impact it? Does it accelerate? Does it I, I think it, I, I think it's going to accelerate. I think you're going to have find folks who have been hoping for a higher rate environment, but then find their underlying portfolio has underperformed, and they're going to be capital constrained from. And have to, and, and probably be forced to make an M&A sale, rather than being an opportunist about it. So you're optimistic on second half of the year. It's I am. Like we, you know, we were very candid that we, we, 80 billion of, of growth of assets, 30, 35 on the on the Athene side, 50 plus on the Apollo side. We're still good. Even we, listen, we have to be cognizant of the environment that we're in, but we had great headway. Um, you know, there's the, the liability side of our business is a bit stickier. Uh, it has re-rated, no doubt, but we're still seeing good good inflows in our business. We're not we're not seeing a dramatic sell-off. Uh, we see great interest in our fund ten. 
We see great interest in Accord and Accord Plus. So I, I think investors know this is our time and want to be aligned with Apollo right now. Great. Um, maybe the last thing on the theme for, for the moment, um, you know, to your point earlier on the market maybe not fully appreciating the, the SRE yeah. and the stability there that you have, I guess, you know, how do you sort of, you know, bridge that mindset gap? What is it? What will it take? I, I think we, we are convinced, you know, leadership, the board, our employees, we're, we, we did a massive reset of the company in the last 24 months. You know, leadership, governance, North Star business model, and now it's just execution and education. Um, and, you know, sometimes you're in a market where the market's going to be very receptive. Um, we think it's a very, it's a, it's a much simpler story. It's a very unique positioning versus our peers. That in and of itself is a little bit of a challenge because of the uniqueness. But, you know, if we are able to execute throughout 22 and into 23, uh, we, we expect the market will reward us as we are able to distance our model from, from some of the skeptics. Can we talk about retail? That's sure. a topic that gets a, a lot of interest from yeah. investors, just given the large TAM yeah. and the opportunity set there. So maybe you could talk about Apollo's approach to retail. Yeah. What are some of the unmet needs that you see out there where Apollo can help address? Well, you know, for us, it was a build the distribution, create the product set. So, you know, we last year we obviously brought a bunch of folks internally. Then we did the Griffin acquisition, which brought about 150 people to that business in terms of the wires, RIAs, and IBDs. So we feel like we've got our distribution in the U.S. Uh, and our footprint starting in Asia and Europe as well. Uh, then there's the product set, and it starts with taking some of the products we've had for institutions, whether it was our PE product or our hybrid product or some of our credit products, and creating wrappers that are appropriate for that global wealth channel, whether it's AI, you know, a credit investor, or QPs. At the same time, create new products, which we did, Apollo Debt Solutions, ADS, our non-traded BDC. That's raised close to $2 billion of equity in a very short period of time. Um, we're, you know, uh, appropriately deploying that. And I would say the timing to do that is much better now with, you know, rates on loans, private loans from LIBOR 350, 400 at 98 to LIBOR 600. This is the time you want to be deploying that capital rather than having a big embedded portfolio at much tighter spreads. So we're getting great reception on that. I think you'll see other types of retail global wealth products, not only in the yield, but infrastructure, and possibly in something that really captures the essence of the entire of the Apollo uh, uh, ecosystem, if you would. So for, for us, I mean, there's going to be, it is a large TAM. There's going to be a handful of winners, maybe two handfuls of winners. We clearly have the brand experienced distribution and the product to do so. So even though you know, it's nice to be first, but if you can't be first, you want to be in that first, that first cohort, and we're clearly front and center in that. So it sounds like there's more product to come. Any no doubt. themes that you, when you look at sort of that product roadmap? I, I think it's really trying to, you know, not stretch for risk. You know, the institutional market is probably adept at reaching for risk as appropriate, but I think the global wealth market wants predictability and safety, and so a lot of focus on scalable, predictable yield, and, and um, you know, a, a, a product that really is robust under times of volatility. Great. 
Um, maybe we'll shift and talk about broader fundraising environment. Yeah. We've heard yeah. from a number of managers about a more challenging backdrop yeah. for fundraising, just given crowding, denominator effect of the yeah. markets. You have yeah. your Fund 10 that's in the market, among other strategies. So what's your take on the fundraising environment? What are you hearing from LPs? You know, I'm hearing from LPs that it's really crowded. Some folks that had great returns in 18 and 19 came back extremely quickly. Um, I think there's a little bit of concern about those numbers looked wonderful at December 31 or March 31. What are they really right now in this whole denominator effect? No doubt it's there, but it's probably not to the same degree. Uh, obviously, the PE portfolio is down. Or the, the, the public equity portfolio is down as well. So there's no doubt it's more crowded. You know, there's a lot more folks looking uh, to uh, get allocations in calendar 22 and into 23. That being said, our strategy and how we've invested historically is folks are taking notice. Uh, we were in the unique select group of the first quarter that had, you know, positive returns in our, in our portfolio. Uh, you know, that, that trend we feel very comfortable about what we've assembled. We're, when purchase price matters, we're going to get a phone call. And so we feel really comfortable with our business model. We feel really comfortable with our strategy in private equity. And the good thing about being public is you see all, everybody's PE returns. And we feel very confident what we create over three decades. So Fund 10 raising this year, it's still confident? Not, you know, not, not, no, no doubt in our mind. Okay, great. And okay. I would also add, you know, we raised 24 and a half, almost 25 for Fund, fund 9. The amount of folks that have raised 20 billion plus, it's, you know, five or six funds. We'll be two out of the eight or nine that do it. So it's still a very, very select group. Great. We have just about two minutes left, so maybe before we wrap up here, maybe you can just kind of give us your perspective on why it's now a good time to buy shares in Apollo, and as you kind of look out the next three to five years, maybe talk a little bit more about your vision. Mm -hmm. Well, I think over the last 12 months, we have clearly put forth the North Star of our strategy. We were very clear with the capital generation of the business, the three or four priorities of the business, and for us, you know, this kind of environment is where we've always shined over the last 30 years. So, you know, our, our, our business has never been well, as well positioned as it is today. Uh, the incredible amount of investor activity to come in and join us in this, in this journey, uh, as well as the organization of our business. And we're still committed to generating the $5 billion plus of excess capital, $15 billion in aggregate, $5 billion to pay the dividend, uh, $5 billion to, to do M&A, and $5 billion either to buy back stock or, or increase the dividend. And we still are convinced that's the right plan for us. So everything is in check, um, and there's a more volatile environment for us to actually bring our, our toolbox. So, again, business model's in check. It's now about execution. And usually a more challenging environment is one where we historically have shined. And we're, we're, we're cognizant of what the environment that we're in right now. Uh, there are a lot of cross-currents. It's not going to be like other... Uh, you know, periods of time, everyone's a little bit unique unto itself. Uh, there are some lessons from history, but the discipline and the leadership is, is very focused on, uh, on executing that model. Great. I'll pretty happily leave it there. Jim, okay. thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.